Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. Derek. Yes. We've been drinking these big beers oh, yes. <laughs> for ages now. And I you went to the so store. Used to tall boys. <laughs> and I bought these regular beers. And they're like kid size beers. Yeah. Have you ever seen the the little itsy bitsy Coke cans you can get? Oh, yeah. And aren't, aren't these the same size? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's been forever since I've held one of these small cans in my hand. Oh, you're holding the can? I didn't even see it in that hand of yours. <laughs> yeah, Andre the Giant. It didn't even <laughs> fill my glass. I know, right? I, so, I'm feeling ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> Good beer, though. It is. Good beer. What is Muskoka it? Muskoka uh, Cream Ale. Yeah, the Muskoka Brewery Cream Ale. Uh, it is actually, if you get this stuff nice and ice cold, this is a really nice beer, but mm-hmm. teeny tiny. <laughs> it's a beginner beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back the big boy beers. Uh, what's new? Huh? Not much, man. Not much. Not much. I Same heard personal. news. Yes. Whether it's true or not. <laughs> so I uh, I threw my name in the hat for uh, Northwest Passage thing. I heard you washed out, though. I did. I washed out in the swimsuit competition. Yeah. So, you went uh, speedo and, and bow tie, didn't you? I did, and it didn't work uh, out so I well. Told you. I, yeah, I told you. Like a speedo and a beer gut, just it's not a good look. Well, depends. <laughs> there's, there's something for everybody out there, Derek. <laughs> some people can pull it off. Some people can't. Apparently, you can't. The did machine, you have the flip flops on or, or the Crocs? Flip flops. Oh yeah, see they're they're a croc. Well, kind of I group. I was debating socks and crocs or flip flops, and I did made a last minute decision to go with the flip flops, and I get, I think it was a bad. I choice. think that was yeah, because I was just like mm-hmm. sort of cutting it too easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. with the crocs, you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta think crocs and socks, or crocs yeah. without socks. Then there's the work boots, there's, uh, there's the brown the work boots, brown work. Yeah, 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 the cougar boots. Yeah, you yeah. could have gone that route, yeah. and yeah, you you just yeah, so many options. Yeah. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Yeah. It's quite the commitment. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, there's, they're, they're still, uh, they're, we're still waiting to hear. They're uh, still narrowing the field down of uh, potential applicants. And uh, so they... Uh, well, I haven't heard yet. <laughs> we had to apply. But apparently you had to apply to yes, hear. you had to apply. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So I did throw my name in the hat. And uh, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a small thing to apply for because it's potentially four to five months. So I was looking at taking off work, no pay for four to five months. Ooh. So cutting your pay by 40, 45%, right? It's like, ooh. Look at you, big rich guy. And plus, and plus if, if the full financing doesn't come through or the endorsements or not endorsements, um, Sponsorship? Sponsorships. If the sponsorships didn't fully come through, each individual is on the hook for 15000 American. Wow. That's and like $950 million Canadian. <laughs> I know. So I made everything. I made all the cuts, all the things. I said, you know what? I worked it out with work, made deals and side deals and corner deals and this, that, the other thing. And and I've got money saved up. And so it was, uh, I, I was uh, thinking, woohoo. And Let's you didn't tell it. Siobhan until you heard, yes, you were I, going. She, no, I, I told <laughs> she her. She was going to be the last yeah, one to know. I told her immediately because I needed to get her on board. She needed to be supportive. And she was. She was very excited for me because this is something very unique, right? No, 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 no. This is 
he's out of my hair for four <laughs> to what, six months. That's what my boss said. She goes, See? she said, I don't know. Your wife was, or your wife being happy that you're going to be gone for four months. I said, she's not happy that I'm gone, but she's supporting me. She says, yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, Derek. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go away for four months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come here, come here. Go away, go away. <laughs> It's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go reevaluate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they may have uh, done you a favor yeah. by cutting you. <laughs> well, Siobhan's pissed now. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was sad with me last night when I heard back. Ah. So, and and, I, and what it was is they were looking for people with uh, open ocean kayaking experience. And so that's that's kind of hard to come by. I, I, I've i done some sea kayaking, but in inland waterways on around Vancouver Island is where I've done my kayaking, and that was 20 years ago. So, But you my, know what? If all of a sudden you find out nobody applied, you're in like I would have been in. Right? <laughs> by default. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, my friend. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. If I only had known, I would have been trying to do some open ocean practicing with kayaks if I knew that something like this would ever come up. So. Well, you better start then. <laughs> get out in that ocean. Now I got to get myself. This weekend, get out to the ocean. Well, I've been thinking I should get myself a dry suit and uh, get out in my kayak in the middle of winter. <laughs> and find an ocean. What could go wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Hey, honey, honey, I'm going to paddle to Rochester this this weekend. See? <laughs> I'll be right there next to you. Because Lake Ontario doesn't freeze over, so you're, you're you know in the in heavy weather, you got a lot of waves, but surfing opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> I plan. I I haven't paddled yet this month, so mm-hmm. I I plan to get out for November paddle because yeah. I got the dry suit and the yeah and get out in the kayak out, out on Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for a nice nice um, snow to hit, yeah, so I can go up the the Dufferin's Creek that, that and a couple other ones with yeah. getting that nice snow <clears throat> and everything. I should. I got to get a dry suit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, now that you're not spending $500,000 on a trip to the Northwest <laughs> Passage. Well, potentially with sponsorships, there's, uh, and whatever, it's, it's, it should be minimal costs. Yeah. Except for the fact you're not getting paid for four or five months. See? Right. Now you're getting paid, so you can take some of that money yes. and go over to Frontenac Outfitters yeah. and see our buddies over there yeah. and buy yourself a nice dry suit. I got to figure out what dry suit to get. A dry one. <laughs> one with zippers. So I've heard a lot of good stuff about the level six dry suits, which is what you got, right? You nope. got a level six? No, I got the Kokatat. You got Kokatat. Yeah, I went the full on top of the line sort of Yeah. Kokatat, yeah. Yeah. So it's thin I like booties? It. The the booties are all Yeah. Booties and, all included. But they're not insulated, you're just No. No. Okay. They just keep you dry. Mm-hmm. So you put socks on underneath. I saw some uh some guys fishing Bowenville Creek last weekend. We were out for a walk and uh the, he had uh, just like chest waiter. Oh yeah, but it's an it was a neoprene loose chest waiter, and the, mm-hmm. you could see that the booties were neoprene as well. So it was, uh, and it was all camouflage. So yeah, the fish don't see yeah. it, right. <laughs> we used to do the salmon fishing in September when the at the end of September when the rains hit. Yeah, we used to go down to Port Hope and the Ganaraska and do the the salmon fishing, mm-hmm. and because uh, that's when they they stage once the rains hit. They head up the rivers, right? Yeah. And uh, we would go there with all our gear, and you're seeing all these people in all these expensive hip uh, hip waders and <laughs> and all that sort of, and all the top of the line yeah. fishing poles and gear and all that sort of crap. 
wearing sneakers and jeans walking <laughs> up this river at the end of September. <laughs> Having a blast, not yeah. caring. Yeah, those are the good old days. <laughs> Until we were northern boys, I tell yeah. you. <laughs> it didn't cost you $500 for a pair of hip waders. No. <laughs> no, I saved that money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, the Quiet Adventure Symposium. Yes. They sent out a little message saying, we're just taking a poll. Mm-hmm. Would people be interested in going back to a live symposium again in 2023? Yeah. And I guess there was quite the overwhelming yes. Oh, nice. Really? So the Quiet Adventure Symposium is going to be Saturday, March 4th, 2023 mm-hmm. at the uh, Michigan State University Pavilion. Will the rabbits be there? Are the rabbits oh, I'm sure there? the rabbits will probably be there. I'm sure they will be. <laughs> I love seeing all the rabbits. If not, I will be so disappointed. What are the giant ones called? Something Oh, the giant. Flemish. Flemish giant Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Those things are like like dogs. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> Huge. Anyway, so that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we're going to head on down to that. Cool. We'll get a- Right on. Totally, yeah. We'll, we'll be back for that, do a, a booth and record while we're there again. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Look forward to March. Look forward to it. I think Canucopia and the uh, Toronto- Outdoor Adventure Show are the same, within the same couple of weeks. Yeah, what, uh, Toronto Outdoor Show is usually, what, February? And 21st, then, Yeah, 22nd, so it's, it's basically, they they do space themselves out, of course, they're going to not want to be the same weekend. So it's usually Toronto Outdoor Show, and then there's the Quiet Adventure Symposium, and then there's the Canucopia. So it's a... Uh, I'll see about going down to Canucopia this year, too. I keep thinking about doing it, I just, it's like, I don't want to waste too many weekends, right? When I could be doing something. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It's a yeah. great drive. I've never been to it, but it's a long drive, isn't it? And what, 12 hours? From what I hear, uh, you guys just don't shut up. You just keep talking. Well, keeps us awake. Or we're <laughs> driving 12 hours straight <laughs> after working all day. <laughs> you get up at 5 in the morning and you arrive in Madison, Wisconsin <laughs> at 3 in the morning. Yeah. The next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just keep chatting to keep yourself awake. Yeah. Yeah. No, one said then, you, no one said you have to answer. And then there's road food. And then so there, yep. everybody's passing gas the whole drive. is like, crack a window. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. We hold it in. We enjoy that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Quiet Adventure Symposium. It will be uh, March 4th, uh, 2023 in... Um, Michigan State University. Michigan State University Pavilion. Why am I... Th- Totally blanking on the name the of the town. town. I know. Lansing? Lansing. Lansing, Lansing Michigan. Michigan. That's it. Wow. I can't believe I pulled it out of my head. Wow. Yeah. I've you... had a lot of head injuries. What's going on? <laughs> so now we know where your memories come from. I can't remember. Because now there's a date to go by. <laughs> so we can work with this now. We got, yeah, we can work with this. We got a little, uh, little data trail now. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, speaking of data trails, episode 350, 350, we talked about, uh, we we're talking about many things, but one of the things that came up was wearing a life jacket when ice fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something came up where we somebody said, "Yeah, yeah, you should be wearing a life jacket while you're ice fishing." And we're like, "What?" I know. And so I, my thought every time that I've gone ice fishing or been out on ice, I've never brought a life jacket, but I bring ice spikes. 
So yeah. you, you loop them yep. around your neck, and you're, there's ice spikes and on cords, so you can quickly grab them and and use them to poke and prod and pull your way out of the the water that you fell into. Right. So one of our listeners, Dave McMahon, he sent us a message uh, saying he's up in Elliott Lake where he fishes most of the same lakes summer and winter. And many of the summer portages are winter snowmobile trails. Mm -hmm. So that as a way to get into these remote lakes. They're not, I guess, the official, I guess they Mm -hmm. got official mark trails and stuff. But in order to get in some of these lakes, a lot of people use these uh, portages and stuff. He doesn't wear a summer PFD when he's ice fishing, but his snowmobile suit is a floater suit designed to keep him afloat in the event of going through the ice. Did he say what brand it was? No. Because I've got a Mustang floater coat, and I've heard, I've seen, so at, at some of these outdoor shows, I've seen Mustang floater suits. Mm-hmm. So usually like a floater suit is something that, you know, Alaskan fishermen would wear type thing, and, and they'd have quick access to uh, to like a dry suit to, if their ship's going down type thing. But a lot of a lot of open water, open ocean fishermen would have like these floater suits. Mm-hmm. Well, he says there's a lot of – and not being into snowmobile, I didn't even think of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, many snowmobile suits have a feature. A flotation suit is generally a one-piece suit that keeps the wearer afloat if they fall in the water. The insulation in the suits keep you warm even in wet conditions. These suits use materials that do not absorb water. Some of them assist in draining water out of the inner layer of clothing. The suit sheds water quickly to delay hypothermia if the rider accidentally plummets into the lake or river. It also means that the suit won't freeze as it does not retain the water. The unnecessary weight of absorbed water won't weigh you down. Uh, you'll be able to move faster, which could be crucial in emergencies. The other hand, a regular suit will keep getting heavier as it absorbs water. It'll make it harder and harder for the snowmobiler to get out of the water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these some of the, these um, snowmobile suits that they got yeah. are like flotation mm-hmm. suits that uh, Makes help sense. You a, out. Lot of, a lot of people ride rivers and, and lakes in the winter, right? A lot mm-hmm. of these routes. Have you ever been up to Port Perry just north of... Toronto here, north yeah, east of Toronto. Skugog, like Skugog. Yeah. Have you ever been by the causeway in winter? Well, I've driven on the causeway in winter. Have you ever watched the snowmobilers? No. I, There's like a 30-foot open part of water. They go over that? That goes, because it comes under the bridge yeah. under the causeway, right? So it's always a current open, rushing. moving, there. yeah. So all of a sudden you see these snowmobilers come ripping around and then straight at this open water. <laughs> And then straight across I've the water. I've never seen it. Yeah. I'm, I, we, we were there one day wondering, why has everybody stopped here? And that's what they were doing. <laughs> they have a whole bunch of people standing yeah. on the ice yeah. like to get ready if, I guess, mm-hmm. somebody doesn't quite do it. Yeah. To and, pull them out quickly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just like this water <laughs> snowmobile. Car- I I wouldn't want to risk the beer. my snowmobile. <laughs> I know, right? Like – yeah, it's like, you know, you, however many thousands of dollars for a snow machine, 15 grand or more. Yeah, it's and like, now it's fish habitat. <laughs> yes. Tie well, a float can, to the back. You can pull it out and drain it out. You, you know, It's going to cost you a few bucks. Yeah, yeah. But see, if that was me, if I was doing that, I'm tying a rope with a float on it. Yeah. So that as I go 
as it goes under yeah. the ice, <laughs> the float pops up yeah. and sits on the surface so I know exactly where my <laughs> skidoo is. <laughs> anyway, Dave, thanks for that information yeah. on that one. Uh, yeah, totally, totally didn't even think of that one. Uh, you sent me something which is kind of neat about maps. I just came so when when it first when I first saw it, it was uh, it was just a little video, and uh, my first thought was, "Oh, Jeff McMurtry would like this. This is this is funny," because as we've talked, may have talked about in the past past on this, like when he did his Algonquin map and stuff. There's a lake called Rowley Lake, Sean's Lake. He calls Sean's Lake. Yep. Okay, and uh, at the time on the on the on the boards, I was I. I was called Dog Bite, so he he had a lake called Dog Bite, and uh, so he he because any some of these inner lakes in Algonquin are just unnamed lakes, ponds and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so he just he started naming them, and so what I came across this video, and it was I I don't know how I've never heard of it before ever. Anyways, uh, so a lot of these map makers like Rand McNally and General Drafting and so on. Back in the early 1900s, they, they, there's no way to copyright a map because a map is just a map. But if they made the map, if they designed the map, what they would do is uh, they, it was like one one group, uh, they had an anagram of their initials in a dirt road. So the dirt road was going, and then suddenly the dirt road was in initials, and it's like, well, that's a weird dirt road. And uh, so this, we're talking like the 19, 1900s, 1925, 1930s, and so on. Anyway, so uh, was it was it Rand McNally? General, yeah, General Drafting. Is that who did, called it Aglo? Yeah, there's Otto G. Oh, yeah, Lindbergh yeah. and his assistant, Ernest Alpers. Yeah. So Ernest said, why don't we take our initials, make an anagram, we'll make a town, yeah. and we'll put it somewhere where there isn't actually a town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just an intersection. Yeah, it's just north, was just north of Roscoe, New York. Yes. And so they called the town Aglo. And if you look on the map, there's Aglo, New York. And uh, so uh, these these are were came to be known as paper towns. They only existed on paper. And they were there because if, if uh, for example, another map maker came out and uh, started selling or giving out maps and they had Aglo on it, then General Drafting would say, hey, you clearly copied our map because that town doesn't exist and you have it on your map. So you copied our map. And so that's how copyright that, infringement. That's, yeah. Copyright infringement. And so this, this town, <laughs> so many people are going to this intersection. And so imagine this. And so I was trying to think, why would people do this? So back in the day, it was very exciting to have this new fangled motor car, right? So people were just, they would get these free maps at gas stations and at various outlets. And so they would just go for drives in the country and follow these maps. Hey, what's next? What's this? What's that? And so, so many people were showing up in this fake town aglo. There's like, well, there's nothing here. But so many people were showing up that somebody built a general store. Mm-hmm. He says, well, there's a lot of people showing up here. So they built a general store, the aglo general store, which is now gone. I was looking on Google Maps. It's not there anymore. Uh, so in the 50s, General Store was built at that intersection. And uh, so <laughs> Rand McNally did put that name on their map. And so they were threatened with copyright. And then the town, it's for, that town became a real place for a short time. So there was a General Store. There was a couple houses. But it wasn't really a town. It was a town in name hamlet. only. Yeah. It was a hamlet or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But then the... Uh, the but Den- New York actually had it listed as a... 
yes. a, a hamlet. Yes. So it actually yeah. existed because that store was there. Yes. But now it's gone. Yeah. So when the store closed up, it's just a couple houses. So we didn't really qualify as a town anymore. And so it, it's just, it's such an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it became, they became known as paper towns. And and there is a, you know, whatever, a, a Hallmark weekend movie thing called Paper Towns and yada, yada, yada. So there's a, and it was based on Paper Towns and this town specifically. So it's just, so it was, it's kind of neat to see the the stuff that comes up when people start putting names on maps like Jeff McMurcher did and like mm-hmm. General Drafting and Rand McNally and so on. But it's a good way to, for, like I say, you know, when, when uh, General Drafting saw Rand McNally's na- map with Aglo. Yeah. It was like, oh, They gotcha. were all over him, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then uh, Rand McNally goes, um, it actually does exist yeah, there's now. Yeah, there's a general store. <laughs> because of you guys, it does exist <laughs> yeah. there now. But yeah, they said, and there are, st- it's still in use today. There mm-hmm. are paper towns. Yeah. Uh, Google Maps. Now, Aglo isn't on Google Maps anymore. So I found it. Okay, so it is and it isn't. When I searched Aglo uh, New York, it came up and it showed me the intersection but it wasn't called that on the map itself. It's just it it the search term found it. Oh yeah. But it it's not labeled on the map. The Ag- Aglo General Store is still shown on the map right. as a point. But you, I could add a point on a map like that. Yeah. I can you can go to Google Maps and and say put in a town, fake town, and name it. But it won't necessarily be a town. It'll be a, 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 a like a book. There'll be a little picture, and or it'll something. live on Google Maps until Google Maps comes along and goes, "No, nah, I'm taking that out." Yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah, there there is a, apparently a bunch of towns around the world yeah. that are paper yeah. towns. Still. Yeah, they're still in use today. Yeah, so it's just a, that it's a cool. fascinating thing. It's really fascinating, and so it just goes to show, like, uh, like who doesn't like looking at maps and and perusing maps? Like, I love doing that. I'll I'll spend so much time on just looking at maps and thinking about canoe routes and where can I go next summer? Or I want to do this route. I want to hit that point. I want to I I want to see that lake and. I remember going into Algonquin. I don't know if you were there. I know Mark Rubino was. So off Ralph Bice. So you come in through Magnetoan, Hambone, and then into Ralph Bice. And up on the right, on top of the hill, there's a lake on the hill. And so we bushwhacked and dragged a canoe up to that lake. And uh, we paddled on the lake. And it was like, it's it doesn't, <laughs> you're bushwhacking to get to it. But it, uh, what is it, Daisy? is to the east. So you, we basically went up on the portage heading towards Daisy and then hooked a right turn and climbed up the hill. And then when we left, we discovered on the uh, on the south side and near Hambone, there's a, just a logging road that goes right to the right. lake. <laughs> <laughs> Loser. Like, oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> so yeah, so Paper Lakes, man. Yeah, Paper Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> now that that's a pretty, uh, pretty neat uh, little... It is thing to find out. Maps are fascinating. I love maps. Oh, they are. Who doesn't like maps? I am got a ton of... I mean, yeah. look, at, look at that pile up there. That is a pile. That's a fire hazard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'll keep you warm. In <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, National Geographic put out a list of some of the best new books celebrating rivers, seas, and lakes. You can... Just you can go to get yourself another beer, go for a pee break or something, because this won't interest you. <laughs> no, your <laughs> <laughs> books. <laughs> uh, there's five of them here. The first one is Chill: The Cold Water Swim Cure. For those after motivation to keep up outdoor swimming into winter, 
count me out. Uh, this transformative <laughs> guide to uh, renew your body and mind by Dr. Mark Harper offers up a science-based approach to the benefits of cold water immersion. As such, practitioners as Wim the Iceman Hoff have been have long maintained swims can boost circulation and the immune system and reduce inflammation, anxiety, and depression. With research backing these claims, the book offers practical tips on preparing for a cold water swim and getting the best out of the experience safely. Hmm. Um, this is a thing called hypothermia. Yeah. <laughs> Well, people do this. People, yeah. people, uh, they swear by this, and there's it's a type of therapy. Uh, so yeah, if you can't be on the water, cut a can, hole and go in. Yeah, go in the water, and that's I. You see that too occasionally. You see people go out on a like middle of January, and they'll cut a hole in the ice and yep. with a chainsaw. Polar bear then, swim. Yeah, they'll just drop in, and and it's like some people are. I get if you'd have to. It's like mind over matter. Like I've seen people do it, and it's like, how are they so calm and relaxed? Dave Wilfong up in Lake Tomogamy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right? Remember he did that, and he's got a little barbecue there going while he's standing <laughs> in the water. It's like, what's going what's on? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember in June one year, I was doing some, I was doing some practice rolls in my kayak on Lake Ontario, and uh, and so it, that didn't last long because. It, before the water turns over, you're talking like five, six, seven, eight degrees, like near the shore and the shallows when it's still cool. And like suddenly you got tingles on your skin. It's like, oh my God, the water's cold. Yeah. And I can't imagine. No. Like, so the it takes air's me, warm. It takes me long enough on the best of days in the middle of <laughs> summer to get in the water. Yeah. And get me in there in the middle of winter. Uh, the second book, uh, The Flow, Rivers, Water, and Wilderness. Guardian journalist and whitewater adventurer Dr. Amy Jane Beer journeys across the UK in search of the watery wonders of our landscape on foot, by canoe, and with some magical wild swimming experiences. From chasing salmon in Scotland to discovering beavers in Devon and unearthing Celtic myths, Beer's travels give her access to some of the country's most beautiful spots, natural phenomena, uncovering many of the stories that keep uh, they keep along the way. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, sounds a bit warmer, it? too. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of pictures and stuff in it and stories. Good. That'll work for me. Yeah, see? Get the, the <laughs> see, Siobhan can read it to you. And you can just look at the pictures. Number three, Swamp Songs, Journeys Through Marsh, Meadows, and Other Wetlands. Marshes, bogs, and swamps are the murky terrain celebrated in this travel log by journalist Tom Blass. These are strange liminal lands where the civilized world bogarts, bad airs, and strange crepuscular creature. (laughs) What word is that? Where's crepuscular? Crepuscular. Quick, Google that. Crepuscular creatures sit uncomfortably side by side. As human life encroaches increasingly upon these wild ancient places, Blast engages with their inhabitants, from rich bird life to outlier communities, drawing on traditions of literature, folklore, and mythology, and delving into the forgotten histories and untold secrets that lie beneath the surface. That actually sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, according to Oxford Dictionary, crepuscular. Creepy. 
of or resembling or relating to twilight in zoology is of an animal appearing or active in twilight. So nighttime creatures. Strange nighttime creatures. What was that big word we used for people that like to use big words? <laughs> <laughs> I can never remember. It's too big. <laughs> uh, that one actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, number four, <clears throat> pack rafting, a beginner's guide. Pack rafting is fast gaining disciplines. Author Chris Scott discovered these lightweight, robust boats portable enough to pack under a backpack in the Scottish locks and has been together uh, has put together this handy guide offering tips on the different types of pack raft and the best gear to bring as well as basic paddling skills and water safety. While Scott has pack raft his way onto the rivers of France's Massif Central, Utah's Canyonlands, Iceland, Turkey's uh, Lysine Coast, and New Zealand to on point-to-point journeys made on foot and water, he outlines various pack rafting adventures for beginners too. From paddling a local canal to using a pack raft, uh, sorry, a packable sail to traverse open water. Hmm. So you're wanting to get into pack rafting. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good book. And another one that's probably not up my uh, up my alley, the Outdoor Swimmer's Handbook. Tapping into our enduring love of plunging into rivers, reservoirs, lakes, and seas, founder of the Outdoor Swimming Society, Kate Rue, captures the freestyle spirit and voices of the UK's growing community of alfresco swimmers in this new tome. One for beginners and stalwart swimmers alike, Rue expands on her 2008 book, Wild Swim, to explore everything from the physiology of cold water dips to the best ways to plan lazy downstream summer swims with field guides to the wildlife you may be lucky enough to encounter en route. But that's one of the things that um, when we're on canoe trips, like a lot of people, you know, at the end of a portage or having lunch, we'll go in for a quick little yeah. rinse off yeah. or, you know, just soak up some water and so whatnot. And it, it, uh, it seems weird. I think anybody listening from North America and stuff, this is like, oh, well, I do that all the time. But when you're talking about Europe and, and European areas, it's uh, it's very highly populated, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're jumping in a lake or a stream, you're generally by a freeway or something, right? So it's uh, you can see where you're going to find some hidden places to go for swims and reservoirs or lakes and so on. So I, I kind of makes sense that where she's talking about uh, it's a UK community that's growing because you can see where a lot of people are used to like uh, swimming pools and whatever at you know gyms and YMCA. I don't know if they have that. Wasn't there, the but. UK that we did that one? saw that one article on where people were getting so into it and they were getting dressed and undressed at their car across from people's houses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a big thing. It was like, come on, people, stop this. <laughs> yeah, coming out of the house and somebody's half naked in, hey, in the you. street. <laughs> yeah. So there's some books uh, for you not to read. Uh, yep. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I can guarantee I probably won't read any of them. Uh, that... Um, the flow swamp songs. Oh, journeys through marsh, meadow, and other wetlands. That one sounds pretty cool. With the cres- cre- crepuscular, so it's twilight. So basically, twilight creatures as yeah. it's getting dark, or as it's 
getting light and it's not nighttime creatures and it's not daytime creatures. It's creatures that it's come out to the water's edge at twilight. Yeah, that sounds like a decent book. Mm-hmm. I might check that one out. Uh, we've talked about lost portages. And there's been a few people we know that are, they've been reclaiming them over the past, I'll call it a decade, doing trips and cutting them and finding them. And even Kevin Callan talks about old portages and stuff. New Brunswick historic portages. So there's a stone marker on a country road between Dorchester and Sackville, New Brunswick. You know that area, right? I do. James Upham, a Moncton historian educator, explains that if you look closely at the plaque on the National Monument unveiled in 1952, you'll see that this stretch of Route 106 is worthy of recognition. It is a site of an early Mi'kmaq portage route connecting two rivers through a place now called Frosty Hollow. If you were going from Bobasin to Sackville and you were heading over to Dorchester, this is probably the spot where you would pick up your canoe, shoulder it, and start walking, he says. The plaque reads, This route connected Bobasin by way of Westcock and the valley now known as Frosty Hollow with the Memran Cook and Petit Kodiak rivers. Uh, and was an important link in the communication system between Acadia and Quebec. Says people have been walked through this exact spot that we're in right now, knowing exactly how to use the river systems and trails of this entire region to literally paddle and walk from this spot to Quebec City. Yeah. It's fascinating to think about, you know, like we can jump in our cars and head off and do these great distances and and these great distances, it's like... Good God, somebody's going all the way from like Sackville, which is very close to Hopewell Cape, or Hopewell Cape Rocks are you're you're heading across the uh the area land over towards PEI and so then you're gonna take the coastal pathways and portages and paddle up the uh the uh the uh Gulf of Saint Lawrence, then up Saint Lawrence River and then get into Quebec. It's like <laughs> that's a long trip. And that's how they used to have to do it. Yeah. But it's all these inland uh, rivers and, and old lost portages, yeah, right? Yeah. So Tom Johnson, who works with a nonprofit organization representing nine New Brunswick Mi'kmaq communities, says portage routes often follow the same paths worn by animals, and the portage routes were used to travel all over the province and into central Turtle Island, which is now Quebec. He says, pointing out that the routes around the Petit Kodiak river would have been especially well used. Anybody traveling from Nova Scotia would be funneled through uh, Chignecto Isthmus and then they hit the Petit Kodiak River. He describes the river as a great time and labor saver thanks to the tidal bore which would propel canoes 30 kilometers upstream twice each day <laughs> toward the next portage route near Petit Kodiak. Petit Kodiak. Yeah. Um, the Mi'kmaq and Wolastike have been on these lands since time immemorial, since the times of the last ice age, he says. Hunting, traveling from one area to another, and just for socializing, too. These communities were small, and it was not uncommon for men to travel to other communities to seek brides. There's a little tidbit of information you didn't know. <laughs> 
I recognize all the names. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, New York, sorry, New York, New Brunswick. There are two other monuments commemorating the network of waterways and portage trails, including one northeast of uh, Petit Kodiak. Petit Kodiak. uh, The Route 106, where a portage route linked it and the Canaan River. Other route along 907 Bay Vare, uh, where there was a trail connecting the Missaguash River and Bay Vare. So these have been there forever, and they're finding them now, right? They're or, well, not finding them. They're, they're they're bringing them back. Tim Humes of Miramichi is so fascinated by the history of these ancient portage routes, he is co-leading a project by Canoe Kayak New Brunswick to rediscover and restore six ancient portage trails in New Brunswick. In a sense, it's the reverse of today's traveling, he says. The rivers or the waterways were the former highways and the connecting land masses were the bridges. Which is true. You know, I mean, yep. everything was <clears throat> everything was water. These were the freeways. Yeah, yeah, everything was on water back in the day. Robert Doyle, there's so many people here they talk about. Robert Doyle is researching and writing a book about the ancient portage trails of New Brunswick. Uh, he says that he has learned about eight and a half kilometer trail that run that ran through Frosty Hollow. So that that Frosty Hollow portage is eight and a half kilometers. Yeah. Where you just pick up your canoe and start walking. And your canoe back in that time was either like a uh, birch bark canoe or it was a cedar strip canvas, which is like, you know, they're, you're talking they're not 90, light. 90, 100 pound canoes, right? Yeah. In his yet to be published book, Doyle includes a statement from 1753 by two French missionaries that detail the route through Frosty Hollow and explain how it was used to maintain communication during the struggle between France and England for control of eastern North America. He says this very important communication route the French were using between what is now Quebec City and Fort Beausjour was mostly by way of rivers and the portage trails that connected these rivers. You know, because phones didn't exist yet. (laughs) Hughes calls it pretty amazing that people navigated nearly 100 trails across the province based solely on information that was passed down orally. Because, yeah, I mean, no maps. Yeah, yeah, Detailing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you had a general map of the the province, but... Well, there'd be hand-drawn maps. And uh, so back in the day, back in the, these days, like a lot of these were were just copied by hand. And, yeah. and you you'd have to have some kind of source to get them and... So, well, the natives of the area would that, have that been using them for... Word of mouth and stuff for know, them. Maybe forever. You'd, you'd take a turn at the birch tree and yada, yada, yada. Early Europeans uh, would have depended on indigenous guides to get around. And they say most of the knowledge was passed on orally, but it was also built into the very descriptive indigenous names. Uh, so I'm waiting for you to get through these. Yeah, I know. Uh, you can do them. You want me to do them? You can do them. <clears throat> he cited the Petakodiak, Memramcook, Shediak, Skaduk, Rishabukto rivers, example of names that are rooted in Mi'kmaq language. And that's why most rivers in New Brunswick retain their Mi'kmaq and Wolostuki uh, names. So Wolostuk, there's a town called Wolostuk, and this is Wolostuki uh, names. I know Shediak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up with these names. There. I grew yeah. up with these rivers, right? So, so why am I reading this? <laughs> 
It's fun. It's it's fun to see you try and pronounce some of them. Yeah, you notice there's a few times I just leave words out. <laughs> yeah, I do. I noticed that. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> skipped that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that one's got 19 consonants in a row. I'm just leaving that one there. Uh, the spot on Frosty Hollow was designated a federal heritage site in 1943, and the monument unveiled in 52, but Upham says it was in the 20s or 30s that people started taking stock and thinking about what deserved recognition. Monuments like this are a reminder of our place in history and provide a fascinating perspective on the world that we live in now, which is true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're standing next to a creek. Somebody that was, somebody was the first human to walk up that creek trying to figure out where it went. Somebody a little later on was the first person to think, okay, I'm going to try it with a canoe now. And that took guts. Yeah. And so along with this, the, a lot of the history with canoeing in New Brunswick, it was, uh, there's a lot of shallow rivers in New Brunswick. And so mm-hmm. the canoe polling back in the day was very popular. It was how you got around. You didn't necessarily paddle around unless you're in Gulf St. Lawrence and, you know, with yada, 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 larger lakes, rivers. But canoe polling was a big thing to get around in those areas. You had to. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, you're not paddling it. You're just going to beat the crap out of your paddle at that point, right? Or the other thing is you're getting out and walking. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, canoe polling uh, was a big deal in the East Coast all up and down. Yeah. So that's pretty cool uh, just to see that. Because, I mean, we we talk about it here in Northern Ontario Mm -hmm. and stuff, like finding the old portages. Yeah. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, and I, I when when you mentioned this, I I thought I had talked to you about it before, but I came across a, if you look up... uh, if you Google CBC Portage, New Brunswick, as, and maybe Roots, then you come up with a whole slew of of stories in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and uh, so where they're talking about a lot of these old portage routes through uh, New Brunswick. And uh, back in 2019, 2018, there was a group of guys who were trying to reestablish a lot of these portage routes, and we you probably mentioned his name. I don't remember the name, but uh, he was uh, he was big in the in the canoeing community in New Brunswick, and so they've been trying to reestablish a lot of these ancient routes because they're they're grown in, or they're now some of them are logging roads and so on. So they're trying to trying to bring them back, and and, and so there's a big push on in in the late uh, the late teens of 2015 through 2020 type thing. Well, one of the big things people say is you don't lose, you don't use them, you're going to lose exactly. them. Exactly. Yes. Right. And that's yes. what's happened up north is that it gets reclaimed. Yep. Oh, no one's using these roads anymore. Then yeah. we can use it as crown land, or we mm-hmm. can we can develop it. Yeah. So I, I've I've spent some time up uh, in uh, Tomogamy and stuff looking for some of the old Nostawagan roots, and I'm probably saying that word wrong, but uh, I know that uh, there's quite a few people that uh, that are. Um, trying to refine old roots, right? Yeah, up in the area. So all we can do. Mm-hmm. And it's a, there's a resurgence. It's, a, it's all of these things are coming back, and and so a lot of this stuff was kind of upon us. Really, a resurgence in 2010 and on, and uh, so there's a been a huge resurgence lately, just because of COVID. A lot of people are just 
getting out and doing more and rediscovering the back countries, right? Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a lot of this reestablishing of old canoe routes and and like David Lee, he's uh, every summer he takes a a group of uh, men or women out and uh, and they cl- are clearing and re cutting some of these old canoe routes to reestablish them and so it's a uh, credit to them to making the effort to but you know if and it's a lot of things is you have to use them or else they'll grow in like any portage route you find in tomogamy Killarney, uh, algonquin park whatever french river it, these things are there because a lot of people are putting a lot of foot traffic through them if if it's a becomes a less popular area or it's falling out of favor, then a lot of these areas grow in. And I remember back in 2017 or so, 2016, uh, me and a group of guys from work, we went and tried to find relocate. We we had got some old maps and we we're trying to find some of these old uh, canoe routes. And and so some of them were basically barely a rabbit path. They were so mm-hmm. overgrown and grown in. And uh, sometimes we were trying to figure out how to weave a canoe around trees to get through an area because it was so grown in and we were just kind of lifting the canoe as high above our heads as possible where the trees would bend a bit and trying to float the tree the canoe through the trees and then but you know a lot of the time we did refine some of these roots and you know we would spend hours crossing back and forth through the forest trying to find a dip in the ground where where it looked like you know maybe a hundred years ago there might have been a root and so we found some of them but it's it's hard work it's really hard work we did not recut them like david lee is doing uh what we were doing is we were just using them trying to yeah. trying to get through them we weren't trying to reestablish. We we're trying to rediscover yeah but so. yeah there's a there's a been a kick on to reestablish. yes yeah right, for for people to use so. yeah um a couple years back i did a presentation at the toronto outdoor adventure show about leaving, <laughs> yes. about leaving electronics yes. at home. Yeah. Unplugging when you're out there. Yeah. You don't need the... Oh, by the way, there's been a top five Bluetooth speakers for kayak trips. Really? Yeah. I ain't going to give you the list. <laughs> I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, Google that yourself. Uh, <laughs> so I I did that... that um, presentation about uh you know leave the phones off yeah. and the gps is off and the mm-hmm. like you know if, if you you want to bring your spot unit or your in reach or whatever with you but you don't necessarily need to be on it all the time yeah the, the ones with the connect your cell phone to mm-hmm. the sort of thing that was my whole whole thing so i came across this article today and i, I think There's a gentleman, Steve Fagan, a journalist with The Day in New London, Connecticut. He wrote this article recently entitled, When Did Hiking, Biking, and Kayaking Get So uh, Complicated? And he came up with this after he's taking a bike ride with his friend, Kurt. So I'm thinking, what's so complicated about it? Yeah. So I thought I'd start reading it just to see. Before Kurt and I set out on a 33-mile bike ride in Rhode Island last week, he activated two apps on his smartphone, then double-checked the route using an online mapping program. Once we were underway, he stopped several times to take pictures and also answer text messages from friends planning a kayak trip. 
Later, he addressed his phone, Hey Siri, how far are we from the parking lot? <laughs> you are 4.8 miles from India Point, came Siri's electronic reply, which Kurt had programmed in to speak with a British accent. <laughs> yeah, At this point, I can see where Steve is going with his article. <laughs> What's going on here? I'm starting to like Steve. <laughs> As I began exploring the great outdoors and outdoors in an old school era where you simply hopped on your bike and started pedaling, hit the trail carrying little more than a canteen gorp and a compass, or lashed a waterproof chart to the deck of your kayak, I used to poo-poo technology geared for outdoor enthusiasts, but have come to appreciate smartphones, smartwatches, and other electronica. Now I don't like Steve so much. they help us dumb humans navigate check the weather forecast summon help in an emergency or simply coordinate rendezvous strategies a recurring scenario our hiking group arrives at an unmarked fork in the trail which way typical response i don't know me either i think we should go left no it's gonna be a right turn My inclination is to suggest, let's check the map. But before I can fish the paper guide out of my pocket, one of my companions finds the correct route on the phone app, and off we go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, and that's, that's my big thing is like, okay, people are losing their map reading, compass, skill, and all that because everything's right on Mm -hmm. uh, an electronic gadget. Which peaks have the best view? Visit alltrails.com, Gaia.com, CairnMe.com, AvenzaMaps.com, or any of a dozen or so other mobile apps. Thunderheads in the distance, pull up Weather.com, Wonderground.com, or the Climb app, C-L-I-M-E, to see if the radar shows a storm heading in your direction. As Dylan famously sang, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. (laughs) Same goes for common sense solutions. You don't have to be Sacagawea to figure out there is a well-trampled trail rather than one covered in brambles is probably the right way or that the appearance of mosquitoes, cattails, and skunk cabbage means you're heading for a swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Friends and I also joke that sometimes our best outdoor experiences result from inadvertently straying off the trail. As Tolkien wrote, not all of those who wander are lost. One such occasion, while searching for a geological formation called Split Rock, we encountered an enormous boulder that had been cleft in two. Here it is, we exclaimed, taking photos of our discovery. Turns out the formation we sought was a mile or so away. No matter, after comparing images later with the real split rock, we agreed ours, we agreed ours was way better. <laughs> On a more serious note, we once used a marine radio to summon help when a kayaker in our group experienced a medical emergency while paddling around Fisher's Island. I do bring a smartphone on excursions, mostly for photography and occasionally for navigation. Still, all smartphone apps don't have to be useful. They can be just fun. The Relive apps, I think it's Relive, because Relive doesn't sound right. Relive Relive apps 
Uh, he a- Kurt activated on our bike trip produced a video that combined the photos he took with a oh. moving electric yeah, yeah, yeah. electronic line tracing our route. I have to say it was pretty cool. The, uh, That's so cool. I was on a last summer in the summer before one of the guys on the trip. He he used the the Relive app or whatever, however it sounds. And uh, so it showed, so it tracks your route and it ties in pictures and it creates a video and it shows the route that you take. And every once in a while, a picture would pop up on the screen of, of uh, some landmark you took a picture of and the next one would pop up on the screen. It would show your your elevation changes, your speeds over certain areas. And and uh, so it was it was interesting, but it was a motorcycle trip. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it's, I'm not sure I'd use it on a canoe trip, but uh, yeah. it, it's pretty neat to see it work for like a road trip. Well, I, yeah, I mean, and like I say, he's saying there's so many different apps and, and things people are using, mm-hmm. right? That said, I'm wary of the price you might pay for relying on cell phones and not just a dollar amount. First of all, they can give ill-prepared outdoor adventurers a false sense of security, yep. leading them to mistakenly believe that if they got lost, twisted an ankle, or ran out of steam, they would simply have to call for a rescue. Wrong. No one can help when the batteries run down or there's no cell phone service. True. Next, making non-emergency calls can be as annoying to other hikers as discarded nips. I, I read that earlier and I, I thought it was a typo. Uh, I don't know. That's why most campground shelters prohibit their use. Uh, almost as obnoxious as our cell phone photographers who line up to take selfies at every scenic view. Some national parks have constructed so-called selfie stations to control the practice. My main concern about overuse of technology on the trail or in the water is that instead of providing a connection, it forms a barrier, blocking out many of nature's wonderful sights and sounds. Part of the joy of being outdoors is watching clouds drift, fog lift, a sunrise, sunset, full moon, listening to birds chirp, frogs croak, leaves rustle, trees creak, waves crash, streams gurgle. Much better than staring at a screen. Okay, I like Steve again. <laughs> and that's exactly, I mean, yeah. what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can bring your, like, I'm all for bringing the Garmin, the, the, the spot and all that for the emergency. Yep. But to have your apps and everything else going constantly, like, no. no. <laughs> and it's more and more and more. And yeah, and people are out there thinking, oh yeah, I'll just make a phone call. Not realizing once you get out there. Yeah. There's, I've been on portages that people are going like, yeah, I got no cell service here. Hopefully we'll get some out on the lake. Yeah, no. So I'm, I'm visualizing Mike Burns listening right now and he's probably on the edge of his seat waiting for me to say anything or something because, because I, when I got the Zaleo, I suddenly discovered that I could message people in the backcountry. Yes. And so I wanted to know, I, I, I and it was a trip to uh, Tomogamy and I said, Mike, you're going to see me using my phone a lot because I wanted to learn how to use this app. I want to know how to use it. I don't want to just use it for the emergency button. I want to be able to communicate with it. So I use it quite a bit on that trip with him and I'm sure it drove him nuts. And uh, in subsequent trips, I would, I would like, I, I didn't constantly check messages, but, and I, I learned to turn the beep off. So when you get a message, it would beep. So I turned that off because I didn't want to know when a message came in. 
And uh, so I, I've been pulling myself away from it. I'm not using it as much. I would use it to check weather occasionally and, and weather, but whatever. But uh, I'm sure Mike's going, oh, you, 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 you use it all the time. It's glued <laughs> to your face. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I'm getting better, though. I'm getting better not touching it. At, at first, I wanted to just, I wanted to learn how to use it. I wanted to get comfortable mm-hmm. with it because if it's going to be a tool, you need to know how to use it. And now that I know how to use it, I use it a lot less. Yeah. To be honest. Well, I know when you first got it there and you found out you could connect it, you were, when you did the family trip up in Tomogamy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? Who is this? It's Derek. <laughs> I'm on my Zaleo. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Making dinner. <laughs> and then, yeah, you're telling me the kids are out bopping in the water, the yeah, water's kids edge. Are swimming. Siobhan's and, watching them. Yeah. And you're making dinner, just testing it out. Yeah. And, yeah. It's one thing to test it out to make sure it yeah. works and you mm-hmm. know how to use it in case of emergency. But like I say, if, if someone's out there and you're supposed to be having a nice day and then they're on the phone Get your face out of your phone. Like, yeah. yeah. Why, why are you even here? Yeah, exactly. And like he says, it's creating a barrier more than anything. Exactly. And it's, uh, it's, it's a barrier between you and like, why are you out there? You're out there to enjoy the outdoors. Why is your face in a phone? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure Mike would admit when he first got his spot, he, he had his head down often. He'd message his wife at supper time and so on. And his, his, the spot... X or the spot 10, whatever, he had to get a little stick, a twig from the woods because the buttons to write were so small that he'd like, he's like with a oh, chopstick. big fat fingers, eh? Poking with a chopstick trying to type out words and stuff, right? <laughs> he hated that thing. But see, that's why I had the old, the original spot and it was just a brick. Yeah. It, there was nothing fancy. You turned it on, you turned it, it off. There's no extras. You know, yeah. like people could track me at home. I yeah. couldn't send them personal messages, nothing. Yeah. It was just like, you there's know? like three different messages and like, all okay. There, yeah, there's a all okay. There was the um, one a things are not things are okay, but I I, I need you guys to send me some help because yeah. canoe broken half, but yeah. I'm all whatever. And then there was the SOS, yeah, saying yeah, send send the navy, <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of thing. But even when I was looking at getting a new one, like Tracy going, oh, do you want the one with the screen that you can see it? No. I don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to be texting people, and I don't want people texting me when I'm in the back yeah, country. Yeah. Hey, we're following you on your tracking, and we noticed you didn't move today. That's because my fat ass is stuck in front of a fire. I'm relaxing all day. <laughs> I just woke up from a three-hour yeah. nap in the hammock. That's why. <laughs> so yeah. my practicing with... With my Zaleo, it did enable me to comfortably and easily without frustration. So when Martin Garster went over the waterfalls, I was able to both text and email the outfitter to come and retract us. Yeah. And see, that's why you need to know how yeah. to use it. So I so I was it, very quickly, I sent an email to him and I texted him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it does both. And so I thought, well, if he doesn't look, because this guy is old school, right? Yeah. So it's like, is he going to look at his phone? So he, I make sure I send an email and a text. He, I know he checks his emails periodically through the day. So And so within... Just within a couple hours, he was. Uh, we had chatted back and forth, and he was headed our way. He had a couple guys headed our way to retract us. Because at first, he said, hey, "Do you want me to send you canoes and packs and stoves?" And he said, "No, we are exiting." Yeah. Because he knew through the conversation that we had lost a canoe, we had lost a couple packs, we had lost paddles. So he was preparing to either come bring us more equipment or retract us. And in 
in the end, he retracted us. He picked everything up, put it back of his truck, and we headed out. And that was on the Noir River. That was ooh, 2019. So, right? Yeah. I think that's when we did the Noir. Yeah. But see, that's that's when the electronics are a good thing. It is. Right? Yeah. You've got it with you. Something like that you've got with you that yeah. you can use in case of emergency. Mm-hmm. I bring my cell phone. And the only thing I do with my cell phone take pictures. is I take pictures mm-hmm. and there's the notes. Oh, app, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I type yeah. all my notes. Rather than bring, I used to bring a book. Yeah. A yeah. paper, you know, and a little notebook yeah. that I could drop my stuff yeah. down at nights. Yeah. No, as I go, I quickly take it out. Yeah. Right? And dear diary. There's reach this portage at whatever time, launching from the other end of the portage at whatever time. So I can go back and I know exactly how long portages took us. Exactly. Yeah. And so when planning future routes. Yeah. Right. But other than that, no, no electronics. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so yeah, I like, I like what Steve is, uh, was saying there. Uh, last thing I got here, which totally threw me for a loop. (laughs) It did me. It's like I really had to think about it. <laughs> Lake Havasu State Park in Arizona had dozens of young scouts participating in all kinds of activities at the shoreline. There were 62 scouts at the park attending the ninth annual Aquatic Merit Badge Weekend, sponsored by the Lake Havasu Sea Scouts. So I figured that was some big group or something, yeah, like yeah. older people or something. Sea Scout leader Kathy Waydig tells us the local scouts earned 146 merit badges. That's not each. That's combined. Yeah. <laughs> Including aquatic badges, kayaking, motorboating, small boat sailing, swimming, life-saving, fishing, kayaking, and rowing. The activities were led by 24 knowledgeable adult volunteer counselors. Scouts completed over 100 service hours at the state park to help clear and maintain the fire break for the park. Sea Scouts. Never heard of them. I've never have either. As soon as There's, you said it, I thought you had said something wrong. Yeah. See, when, when I was that age, there was beavers, cub scouts, scouts. Boy scouts. And then you went into either ventures. Yeah. Or you totally took a right turn and hit up air... Army or sea cadets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or if you lived in Petawawa, there was also the airborne cadets. Oh. Which, yeah, there was something wrong with those guys. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so I took a left turn and went to the air cadets, yeah. you know, and got out of ventures. Um, sea Scouts was not an option. Sea Scouts is a program of the Boy Scouts of America for young men and women ages 14 to 20. Purpose of the Sea Scouts, for over 100 years, sea scouting has promoted better citizenship and improved members' boating skills through instruction and practice in water safety, boating skills, outdoor social service experiences, and knowledge of our marine heri- uh, sorry, maritime heritage. Sea Scout units, called ships, are established all across the country on oceans, bays, rivers, and lakes. They provide limitless opportunities and exciting challenges that you won't find anywhere else. Sea Scouts is a place to grow and learn, find adventure, and build long-lasting friendships. It sounds like it's a division, regular scouts, but it's a division on the water. Of Boy Scouts of America, so it's yeah. a program within the Boy Scouts of America. So 
maybe that's why I did never heard of it because it just it, it's like the Boy Scouts, but it's a division of the Boy Scouts. It's the Sea Scouts. Yeah. What makes Sea Scouts so unique is getting out on the water. Sea Scout ships use a variety of boats from small outdoor motor outboard motor boats to large sailing yachts and vessels. In your ship, you will learn piloting and rules of the road, navigation, and how to read the weather. You'll be fascinated by mar- maritime history and traditions, learn knots and fancy rope work, master boat maintenance, engine service, and marine electronic skills. No matter what your ship does, you will discover thrills you just can't get anywhere else. Depending on Sea Scouts, a Sea Scout's personal aspirations, they can build their adventure to fit their needs. Military, so if you want to go into the Navy when you get older. Yeah. Uh, marine industry. So there is one uh, thing they can that they get it. They can go for their uh, maritime captain's okay, yeah, yeah. certification yeah. and recreational boating. So it, everything I found is this is a sounds like it's a pure United States Boy Scouts thing. Boy Scouts of America. Yeah, That's but it. there's port. Credit. But port credit, which is on yeah. the other side of Toronto. The first Port Credit Sea Scout group. It's been around Now, for they say 95 years. Yeah. I don't know if the Sea Scouts have been around 95 years or well, the Scouts it there. It says the purpose of Sea Scouts, for over 100 years, Sea Scouting has promoted better. So, they've mm-hmm. been around for 100 years, and then the Port Credit Sea Scout group has been around for 95 years. Yeah. Hmm. But that's the only thing I can find yeah. in Canada about hmm. Sea Scouts. I have never heard of Sea yeah. Scouts before. So no, strange that you, how do you not hear about it? Yeah. Like I, I probably would have went maybe that route instead of going into air cadets. Nah, I still would have gone to air cadets. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Yeah. But I could have done both. <laughs> yeah, she could have. Right. But uh, see, yeah, if anybody's been in Sea Scouts, I'd like to hear from you. Yeah. What the, I mean, it sounds like it's just regular scouts, but on the water mm-hmm. and yep. you learn... Yep. It, it almost sounds like a bridge between scouts and sea cadets. Yes. Right? Yeah. It, it really does. Get, you get a little bit of both. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. Anyway, that's uh, something never heard of and mm-hmm. came across that and thought, uh, how interesting. It's very interesting. Especially, like I say, the, the, the article that brought that to my attention, they were all in kayaks and stuff, getting mm-hmm. all their, their uh, badges and stuff and learning how to do all that sort of thing, which is pretty cool. Um, that's about all I got. I don't have anything to add. Nothing else? Nope. Awesome. Well, sorry to hear about, uh, you not getting into the Northwest Passage deal. Yeah. I was so excited for the longest time. I was very, very excited. Like, I, I just felt giddy about it. It's like, I was so excited yeah. that this was a possibility. And, and then I started hearing from West Hanson and saying, oh, I've got a whole bunch of very qualified open ocean kayakers. And that he are, crushed your yes, dreams. Yeah. Like a car under a fifty-ton mm-hmm. rock. So instead of instead of being one of very few, and I kind of default into the trip, I uh, it actually became a competition. And well, I gotta thank Wes Hansen for not letting you go because <laughs> that makes my life easier having to find, not find a co-host for six months. <laughs> yes, there is that. Because what if he was better than you? <laughs> exactly. Hey, you're back, job. Derek. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, you're back. Oh, um, this might, is awkward. Might want to collect your things. Awkward. <laughs> here's a box. <laughs> here's here's the empty beer that you. Uh. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's. <laughs> To be some, to to have 
the possibility of to possibly been uh, part of something so big, because what it is is I don't know if it, it, uh, some of the people haven't heard about this, but so West Hanson, uh, the uh, and Jeff Wost, uh, the, and Rebecca Feaster, uh, they tried to become the first people to paddle east to west through the Northwest Passage. Uh, and uh, do it all on water in kayaks. People have done it before. In one season. In one season. So people have done it like a little bit this season, a little bit next season, or, or going overland or in the winter. And so there's, Or in a big ship. Or in a big ship, yeah. And so these days, like you're seeing a lot of... Uh, a lot of tourist boats are now doing it. The sailboats are doing it. There's a lot of research vessels that are doing it. And, you know, for like 60 years, uh, military submarines have been doing it, um, going under the ice. But, uh, yeah, to have to have been, is there not too many firsts left in the world? And, and it's not just to be one of the first, the opportunity to, to be, you know, a pioneer in, in doing something like that, right? It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's something bigger than yourself. It's something that's it, to, and so there, obviously there's a lot of hardships involved. Like one of the ones I was trying to wrap my brain about it around is, uh, oh, what would it feel like not having showered for like three months? Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. <laughs> See, that's why when, you know, this cold was going around and, yeah. and people I know are having it for like a month yeah. and I had it for like a week. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's because I go back country and I eat dirt and don't yeah, bathe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That's what I put it to. I eat dirt and I don't bathe. Yeah. <laughs> Only in the back country. Yeah. <laughs> and some, another one of the things that I thought would be difficult mentally to deal with is you're wearing a dry suit all day. You're working pretty hard paddling along. And so you're going to sweat. You're going to perspire. So you're under your, your, thin, your insulating layer is going to get wet and sweaty. So... Every day, you're going to have to pull that layer off and figure out a way in the high humidity at sea level to let it dry and then maybe put it on the next day inside your dry suit when it's still wet. And so, chilly. Yeah, and chilly. So you're constantly, it, there's the constant you cold. You just leave it on. <laughs> no, you have to take it off. No, Gotta you don't. air out. No, you don't. Yeah, at the end of the day, you, you uh, crack open the zipper in your dry suit or crack open the neck gusset and your your day of passing gas suddenly escapes. and <laughs> It's like, whoa, it's ranking there. And so you're saying this like it's a bad thing. <laughs> it keeps people away from you. Yeah, but yeah, so that's just some of the hardships. But the excitement of of day to day travel on the water and passing amongst icebergs and seeing polar bears and seals and beluga whales and narwhals and stuff like that. It's just it would just be fascinating. And all the one of the biggest things I was excited about if I could have made the trip was some of these historical outposts. Some of these. Uh, 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 you know, the old trappers and uh, the trading posts and, and so on, like uh, just uh, Hudson Bay Company outposts and stuff. They're all still up there. They're just disused or not mm-hmm. used. or So it's Seeing just, some of the historical yeah, bits. Yeah, fascinating. fascinating. Really, yeah. really fascinating. Oh, well, it's right here, buddy. Yeah. Better luck next time. Oh, well. It's going to be interesting to watch the whoever uh, Jeff and West come up with as a team members. To uh, there's going to be five of them, so it's going to be interesting to see them get ready, prep for it, and uh, go through their practice rounds. They're going to be communicating regularly, and so it'll be interesting to uh, to hear how they're getting ready for these mm-hmm. things. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all I got. So. <clears throat> 
If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and listen or download all our episodes there. And if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Pest. We'll see you next time.